Welcome once again to another episode of the Random Access Podcast brought to you by RAPodcast.net. This is episode 704, recorded live on Wednesday, November 10th, 2021. And here are your hosts, the man who I do believe convinced our guest to show up for his first episode, Dave Play. Hey, that's me. Yeah. And the man who convinced our guest to show up for this episode, Andy Lowe. Hi. And our guest this week, who I think is now technically our first and final guest on the podcast, Zach Weigel. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. <laughs> what do you mean by final guest? Well, Wait a minute. Yeah, right now, he is the first one and the, the, the last one. recent one. The, okay, okay, yes. But like, hi, Zach. How you doing? Hey. I'm doing well. When Andy said that, admittedly, I was, I interpreted that as if this is the last episode. Is the podcast? Yeah, that I was kind of my continue. take on it too. I'm like, wait, what, what are we doing? What a like, what a bomb to what? drop right at the, right at the start. <laughs> I, okay, well, I guess I'm out. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> Andy, did you think about that? It's been a long day. Okay, maybe first and most current guest, which would be obvious since he's on the episode right now. Yes, yes. Oh, that's what I was trying to point out. This is the first guest, and now the current guest. Current guest, yes. I'm just, I was trying to go for like the bookend there, because I started out uh, with you, right, but, and then I went to the, me. But the and, podcast is ending. <laughs> no. I see what you mean, though. As if there were, are there more guests on this episode of the podcast? No, no, no. no. Uh, <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. I understand I, where you're going. I don't even know. I'm glad you do it made sense in my head sure it, andy sure it made andy sense. why is zach here not that i i'm like zach it's always fun to, to spend time with you you're an awesome guy andy why is zach here well i i was trying to do something special for episode 700 but we kind of we missed the we missed that a month ago yeah so i i thought hey random celebration of 70 something plus okay. zach just finished the uh the spooktober um yes Yes. Would you call it like a, a streamathon? Is that what you would call it? Or yeah, yeah, I think that's an accurate description. Each okay. October, well, I say each October. We just started it last year. <laughs> We've begun each hosting for this. Two years. Yes, <laughs> long, much to do about nothing is the, the first segment here. Um, last year, we launched this Halloween-themed streaming marathon called the Spooktacular Streamathon, and we reached out to all sorts of folks who broadcast on Twitch and YouTube and elsewhere and invited them to help raise money in support of Gamers Outreach programs. So we just wrapped this, our second annual event. It's now an annual event. Uh, this past October was number two. Raised uh, $771,000 over the course of the month, which is pretty good. We're pretty happy about streamers it, yeah. Streamers make a lot of money, collectively. I know not necessarily in the video. That's awesome. That, congratulations. That is really, Thanks. really cool. You know, all credit really is owed to the broadcasters, you know, first and foremost, for reaching out to their communities. You know, every every basically all the streamers who were involved, I think we had over 550 different streamers. Uh, it was a pretty diverse group. I mean, diverse um, in a lot of ways in terms of games played, people involved, pretty remarkable. And, you know, each of those people basically pick a day to stream during the month and their communities pitch in and donate uh, so they're individually, like, all of that gets pooled up into the grand total. So it was really their efforts that, that raised that amount. And then also, we have a team now at Gamers Outreach. I think last we spoke, I might have been the only full-time employee 
now we're up to, I think we're up to like 12 people, but soon to be like 14 or 15 people, um, <laughs> which is, I mean, you know, decent for, for nonprofits. Like that's, that's decent. Um, it's weird. I feel like I, I interact. Uh, I have a handful of friends that, that like are involved in the startup world. I feel like I'm always reading. They're like, you know, going through multi-million dollar investment rounds and their team has gone from 10 people to like 100 people. So, so I don't know. The nonprofit space is a bit different, but also frankly, like what we do doesn't really necessarily require um, a ton of staffing at the moment. I mean, we, we build these gaming carts. Um, I should back up even, you know, our organization is focused on bringing entertainment into hospitals. Once devices are deployed, we just sort of have to make sure hospitals are helping to manage them. But um, anyway, all that to say, uh, yeah, I mean, our team did a ton of work to reach out to these broadcasters, put the event together, and they really deserve a ton of credit. Uh, there's a guy named Dave Frazier on our team who's our development director. His whole job is to like help raise money for the organization. And then there's a woman named Anastasia um, and another person on our team named Guy. And both of them are uh, responsible for interacting with streamers in our community. And, and they did a ton of work. And then our marketing team, there's a, a woman named Lindsay, who's our marketing director. Another woman named Sam, who um, helps run like social media. And then there's a, another woman named Morgan, who um, helps with PR and whatnot. Um, sorry if you hear sirens in the background. Also, since we last spoke, I've moved to Los Angeles uh, and I have an office downtown so with that sometimes comes the noises of the city um, but yeah the event went great it was it was a fantastic time and raised a bunch of money and um, it was pretty cool I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking I don't even know if we have 14 people in the office at my job right now and I'm sitting here going like that's four I don't I don't think we have 14 full-time people <laughs> At a radio city, right? Like, well, this would be the the cluster for uh, four stations right now. You know, I, I think a lot of it though I, also kind of depends on your company, right? Like, what is it that you're yeah. doing day to day? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember reading this for ten thousand people, so. right? Yeah, very different. I mean, I I, re I remember reading this report. I, I might not get this one hundred percent right, but I think Instagram when they were first starting out, and um, that guy is it Kevin. I'm going to blank on his last name. Is a sister I think. Um, he had founded Instagram, and I think they were like a team of three people for oh, quite a long time. Like they had millions of users, but at their core, were like actually it was, it was a very small team of people that were really running Instagram in the early days. Um, so, you know, it just kind of depends on how things scale up. I think in our case, we have sort of come to grow into this place where you know, we have an operations team and they oversee our program activity in hospitals. And that takes a certain amount of time each day for people to uh, manage. And then we have a fundraising team, our development team, and they're responsible for helping the organization raise money so that we can continue to support our existing work and then look towards the future and grow. And then our marketing team, which is really, I think, more accurate to call it a storytelling team, their job is to help folks understand why we're doing is important and the sort of impact that it's making. So, uh, yeah, all those things take quite a bit of time. I mean, it's it's. I feel like we could really hire twenty more people uh, if we had the resources, you know, because there's so many fun projects we would love to do. It's just a matter of kind of prioritizing and the bandwidth we have. So, uh, yeah, but it's different for every every company, right? Yeah. So how how many hospitals? Because you you specialize with pediatrics, and I presume exclusively. Yes. How many different hospitals have like interacted with in a in a meaningful way, of either delivering parts or providing entertainment? Or, or yes. great question. So we have a presence in about ninety percent of pediatric hospitals now in the United States. And to give you perspective, I, I believe last number I read. 
had, I think it's like 262 uh, as the number of pediatric hospitals in the U.S. There are like over 6,100 hospitals if you include adult facilities. And then when you break it down uh, in terms of like hospitals that exclusively focus on kids, there's like somewhere around 260. And we have a presence in about 90% of those facilities these days. Now, our presence kind of ranges. I mean, um, Children's Hospital Los Angeles, we've got like 50 some of our gaming carts rolling around. We have, uh, you know, in a pre-COVID world, we have volunteers that are coming to visit the hospital to play games with kids. There are other hospitals where our presence is much smaller. Maybe we have like a single, you know, gaming device in the hospital or whatnot. So um, we, we call that next layer saturation. So first layer is, um, you know, sort of breadth of our you know, program reach. How many of these hospitals, do, how many hospitals exist uh, that are specific to children where, you know, gaming would have an impact. Um, and then within those hospitals, what does the perfect entertainment experience look like? And that's ultimately what we're trying to build towards. But every hospital, there's a there's a different answer for that. So uh, it might be helpful too. I mean, your listeners, I could back up a little bit and explain gamers outreach broadly, uh, just real quick. If that yeah, would I mean, I, be I think many of them probably remember you and, and the stories. Um, but if you want to give like a quick recap, I'm sure you've got that at elevator pit like down. Sometimes I, <laughs> I. Uh, Let's give it a shot. See what happens. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so I run this enter- this organization called Gamers Outreach, and we're a nonprofit that's focused on making entertainment and play more accessible inside hospitals. And it just so happens we do that through video games. Um, you might ask yourself, well, why video games? Basically, what our feeling is, if a hospital has access to games, you can make play available at scale. And it's very unique. Video games are a tool that enable that, um, unlike other activities that might exist. You know, if you think about a playroom uh, or, you know, a playroom that might exist in a hospital or therapy dogs, magicians, toys, all those things are great, but they're kind of limited. You know, some kids can't physically access playrooms. Some kids don't want to play with certain types of toys. Maybe there's like an age relevance question that comes into play. But a 10-year-old has just as much fun on an Xbox as maybe a 19-year-old even, or a 20-year-old, uh, young young adults who are sometimes in these hospitals. So what our goal is to, uh, what our goal is, is to build a world where one day we'll all look back and ask ourselves, remember when hospitals didn't have video games? Just seems so obvious. Like, why not give kids this sort of base layer access to activities when they're going through treatment? So... That's what we're focused on. We're on this mission to bring video games into hospitals, help hospitals manage their tech, ultimately to help kids and families regain a sense of joy and normalcy and activity in their lives while they're receiving treatment. So um, didn't start that way. I think our understanding of the hospital environment has matured and evolved a lot over the last 14 years. I think since I was for under on that, uh, that episode way back in the day when we were concerned <laughs> about Halo tournaments being canceled. <laughs> Um, episode what yes. 24 I think and because you just mentioned so I, I want to just kind of like call it out that it's not just providing the resources right it's not just like hey we designed this car was a big thing of itself but also like it's helping sort the logistics around that yeah you're exactly right I mean what I've come to realize and what our team has come to realize is that bringing video games into a hospital bringing entertainment into a hospital is really it's, it's not really like a one size fits all there's not really a one size fits all solution to this this question or this problem um, you might ask yourself, well, video games are so impactful in hospitals. Why don't hospitals just have them already? And the answer to that question uh, turns out there are really multiple answers. Some of it, part one is that, frankly, it's a expensive proposition. To put Xbox consoles, for example, in every single room of a hospital costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, at least if you're talking about a hospital with, you know, hundreds of patient rooms, right? Um, as an example, Seattle Children's Hospital, I think they've got just over or nearly 400 patient rooms. You know, for them to buy consoles for all of those rooms is, is quite an expense. 
OS. Then on top of that, they have to buy controllers, individual games. So there's a an initial sort of acquisition problem, which is, okay, you know, the hospital has to dedicate resources to doing that. To give you a frame of reference, last year, Children's Hospital Los Angeles had a $1.5 billion operating budget. By the time they paid their expenses, there was about 500 grand left over to reinvest in the hospital. So, and you know, by expenses, right, like medical equipment, community care, hiring, you know, salaries for doctors and whatnot, right? So you have a $1.5 billion budget. 500 grand is relatively not a ton, you know, compared to like what you're spending. And even though it's significant, I mean, it's $500,000 is a lot of money. Your first thought as a financial planner in that environment is probably not to buy video games, right? Um, right. So that's just the the, the, the the fact of the matter. When you go to the hospital, the first priority is to get out of the hospital, right? So I would say even rightfully so, research and treatment are prioritized. Because of that, these quality of life programs take a back seat, and they're often not given proper support in a way that is truly enriching to families or really in the long run solves this constant challenge that exists. And so oftentimes these programs are managed by volunteers. During COVID, interestingly, at least the peak of COVID, we found ourselves busier than ever because so many hospitals rely on volunteers to manage their quality of life programs. But the pandemic caused all volunteer programs to basically go on hold. Because of that, hospitals were reaching out to us. I think we had more requests than ever for video games because it was one of the few activities kids could really partake in that was sort of pandemic friendly, if you will. Um, so there's an acquisition problem, like pro- providing hardware to the hospitals. And that's really where our go-karts come into play. Like the gaming carts we manufacture, uh, you know, we call them go-karts, gamers outreach cart, and they are little hardware tools that help ensure a PlayStation or an Xbox is secure, mobile inside of a hospital. So if a hospital doesn't really have a lot of infrastructure already, it's very helpful. You have this cart, it's got a TV on it. There are an assortment of games. And it's very easy to just kind of wheel it room to room and let kids play on it throughout the day. Um, and that's kind of what we became most known for. So, yeah, I mean, to, to that point, I think a few years ago, we were we were going through the process of like basically being product managers, like figuring out how do you manufacture this tangible thing? How do we distribute it and uh, get this out to hospitals, raise money for it, et cetera. Um, But even with these gaming cards, you know, once you sort of get past, okay, well, let's pretend a hospital had the money to buy games. You run into the second layer, which is a management problem. If you have the money to buy all these Xboxes, who is responsible for updating them day to day? We had an instance where we installed, we installed Xbox consoles in every single room of Mott Children's Hospital a handful of years ago. And this these were Xbox 360s, mind you. Oh, no. They're still there. I mean, it's great. I mean, in some ways, it's great because the kids are like, cool, I've got an Xbox. But the hospital ended up... Well, you already probably know where I'm going. The hospital ended up hiring somebody. It became... There's a guy, JJ, who's fantastic. He is a... uh, I believe his title is patient tech specialist. His job is to oversee technology in the hospital now because the hospital realized someone has to go room to room to update these devices. We have to hand out games to the kids. We have to make sure a kid doesn't leave their information behind for when the next kid comes in. Um, So there's, there's a sort of management equation like... How do you manage all these devices at scale, right? Um, actually, funny enough, we're we're building and we're starting a new program called Portal, which basically turns hospitals into land centers. We can talk about it more later, but it's like a software tool. Um, and I, I don't know why it took me ten years to realize like these hospitals are basically big land centers. Like, why don't we give them the tools to manage games like land centers do? So uh, we're working on that right now. And then I guess the third prong I would mention that might be noteworthy is there is a bit of a sort of a cultural or bureaucratic battle as well to all this. So. You know, once are you, you once, Zach, that there are people who think that video games are not beneficial. Yeah, I mean that's that's one way of looking at it. Certainly, <laughs> um, you know, I think 
a simple way I describe it, 10 years ago, the idea of a doctor prescribing game time to a kid or suggesting a child play video games while they're hospital may have been frowned upon because screen time was supposed to be very taboo. Now, games are so much more prevalent in our lives. And we, I think, have noticed very obviously, it's sort of apparent to say this in hindsight, when a child is in the hospital, they might be stuck in one place. One of the few things they can do are activities on their screens. So, but, but, but in the early, you know, in the early days, if you will, I guess 2006-ish <laughs> time frame, um, it was sort of frowned upon for a doctor to even make that sort of suggestion. So there was a lot of administrative pushback when it came to hospitals really integrating video games because it just didn't seem normal to do so. And there were a lot of concerns around how games were maybe affecting kids, um, how technology generally was affecting kids, frankly. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, our origin story. Um, I, I take kind of a middle of a road approach to this topic, frankly, like my I do feel media has some influence on us in our lives. Like, I mean, when I go to the gym, I like to listen to, you know, Metallica and I feel pumped up when I'm lifting weights. Right. So you, you could argue that's some sort of influence. But I I think when you start getting to like causal links, it, it gets very murky because, I mean, if my family was involved in like an extreme act of violence, like a school shooting or some sort of public incident similar, if someone came to me and said, wow, I'm really sorry, your family were the victims of gun violence. It's too bad people are playing violent video games and this happened. I would probably be very upset because I feel like there are a long list of topics to discuss before you get to video games, um, yeah. very practically, right? So I, I think that's where there's, for whatever reason, you know, so many problems in our society when they're talked about in the media are oversimplified. Um, and, and it's just ridiculous. I mean, there are some instances where this happened even somewhat recently, and it's 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 really buffoonery, in my opinion, to like point to video games before you start talking about really a number of other topics. So um, anyway, that's to say, yeah, I, I think there's there's really, but for in the hospital environment, it's more about patient outcomes. Like, you know, anything the hospital invests in, what they're most concerned about is, hey, you know, at the end of the day, is this really helping us heal, heal kids faster and provide a better uh, you know, experience in the hospital for children? And unfortunately, there's not been a lot of you know, formal studies around that yet. Um, even we as Gamers Outreach, I mean, we've we've thought about embarking on said studies, but it's expensive to fund for one. And then for two, it's, it's just that our work is so obvious, like it just seems kind of ridiculous to even waste time on it just because it's like, look, obviously kids like playing video games. Clearly happier kids heal faster. Like there's no doubt around just generally, you know, people's uh, you know, mood. If it's, if it's in a happier place, they're probably going to have a better experience when it comes to healing and having a sense of optimism, et cetera. Um, so we just haven't even really bothered with it yet. Um, and frankly, it just takes, I mean, the times where we have the academic groups we were working with just, it felt like they took forever to, to do anything. <laughs> it was like months just to make a simple decision about something. So anyway, I'm not writing it off. I do feel like it's important and I would love for us to engage in it. But again, back to we're a small team and our focus has been on other topics. Um, I do feel like perhaps if that research existed, you might find a circumstance where hospitals would be more willing to dedicate resources to this sort of thing. So um, as much as I sort of gripe about it, it actually might be like part of uh, you know wider adoption much faster. So uh, anyway, long-winded explanation there, but that's kind of some of the things we think about. No, no worries. And it, I, I love it when you talk about how, like, you know, if we had the data, if we had done the, re like, if someone were to do the research because I work an electronic medical records company and work on the reporting team there. And I, I've been shouting at the top of my lungs to anyone who will listen about exactly that. Um, and I, I actually get a lot of people in my class 
from pediatrics hospitals. And one of the things that I do with them is uh, for an after break activity, we do like the two truths and a lie. I say like one of Dave's friends started a video game based charity and you know people have no idea what it is. And so at the end of it, I'm like, oh, by the way, this is actually true. And I bring up like gamers out page. Like, and the, the fact is most of you probably have one of their things in your hospital, at which point like half of them turn around and like, oh my God, like, I didn't know that. So like it's, it's there. There are things to do and we can chat later offline. But like, yeah, definitely, definitely. Now I was uh, wondering about one thing you're talking about this. You so you're when COVID hit us, most of our um, fundraising things through the the radio stations and everything kind of just went aside. But you said you actually had an increase during COVID. Yeah, we had our busiest year ever. I mean, I mean, I think 2021 will end up being busier than 2020. But um, I think two happens. Uh, two things happened simultaneously. One was that the video game industry had a moment, uh, as you guys are probably aware, <laughs> a big moment. <laughs> uh, I mean, pandemic aside, right? I mean, I'm not trying to uh, be dismissive of like the effects of COVID, you know, health wise, uh, economically, in terms of just video games isolated here. You know, video games, obviously, like Steam, I think, posted their record number of concurrent players. Xbox Live had their record number of concurrent players. Um, I mean, network companies were like struggling to keep up with the traffic, um, you know, from all the people who are suddenly working from home. Um, so I think part of it was there was this increase in activity in the video game industry. And a lot of our support so happens comes from the gaming community uh, and the gaming industry. I think they just sort of most easily get what we do uh, without much explanation. The other thing that happened was um, thankfully pediatric hospitals were not really seeing kids being diagnosed with COVID or at least hospitalized due to COVID. Um, but they still had to enforce all the physical distancing measures that might exist elsewhere. And because of that, a number of programs that are typically available to kids and families were just put on hold. I mentioned volunteers a bit earlier uh, and volunteer-associated programs. Those things were all put on hold. Also, what ended up being put on hold sometimes was, um, you know, group play activities, therapy sessions. Uh, you know, if kids were maybe well enough to, like, leave their room and engage in some sort of physical therapy, all of that was happening in their rooms. All the kids in the hospitals were being isolated in their rooms as well, so... You know, typically, if you think about, again, I'll use a, you know, Seattle Children's. I just got off the phone with them, so I'm just thinking that they're top of mind right now. But, you know, they're like 400 patient bed facility. Uh, within that group, you've got some kids who are, you know, physically able to go to a playroom. They're able to explore the hospital. They can interact with other kids. That's great, right? They can... They can get out and socialize a little bit. All of the kids were being placed in the room. So all of the kids were going through isolation for periods of time. So the hospital staff were like, what do we do? Like we, you know, you, you think about the number of hospital staff. It's not like they have 400 people that can just go and hang out with the kids each day, right? Like they might have a small team on each floor that are responsible for interacting with kids, but they're kind of taking, they're on rotation, right? Checking in day to day day so video games became the go-to activity like oh my gosh how do we the kids are bouncing off the walls what do we give them to help them stay active help them communicate with their friends help them communicate with the hospital well turns out video games were the answer and obviously that's actually kind of why we do our work anyway i mean our the whole premise of gamers outreach is sort of exactly that like games are this tool that empower kids we can give kids a sense of agency we can provide kids with opportunities to socialize and escape the walls of this environment it just so happens during COVID, it's like way more apparent because now all the kids are you know, stuck in their rooms, unfortunately. So I think those two things combined, it ended up that we had a number of requests from hospitals for support. And then we had a number of folks in the gaming community and gaming industry who I think saw what was happening and responded to some of our requests for help. And that ended up leading us, you know, we ended up raising quite a bit of money through that. 
also to our team is remote anyway. I mean, we uh, now that we have a staff, all of our crew works around the country. I mean, I'm based in Los Angeles. Um, conveniently, it's it's helpful for gamers outreach for me to be here. Uh, selfishly, I love LA and being near the entertainment industry. It's just it's just fun for the you know stage of life that I'm in at the moment. Um, so it's helpful. It's great. But my the rest of my team is kind of all over. I mean, we've got. A woman who works in Georgia, another woman who works in Pennsylvania. We've got a, a couple, few, you know, few people back in Michigan. We manufacture our gaming carts in Texas, so we're very much like a modern sort of millennial company in that way. We all use Discord as like our virtual office. Um, so thankfully, we were already positioned in that way, where like it wasn't nothing really changed for us work wise. We just continued to fundraise, and even our fundraising event. I mean, as you guys might recall, back in the day when we hosted events like Gamers for Giving, the only way to really fundraise at that time was through selling tickets. And maybe people would donate at your at our event um, or they'd buy like a T-shirt or something. But now, I mean, the majority of our fundraising really happens online. I mean, pretty much all of it, I would say. Like when we do Gamers for Giving, eventually we'll come back to hosting a LAN party. But the LAN party is really more of a community event and activity for us than it is like a fundraising activity at this point. Um, yeah. You know, we still value it, and I think it's important for our identity to do it. And frankly, it's it's fun. Like I mean, it's, it's, it's good to get together. History. And yeah, I, I think it's I think it's something that is just true to our identity as gamers. Like we are a gaming charity. We want to get together with our supporters and play video games once a year. And it's obviously, yeah, to your point, true to how we found we're founded. Um, and so I think the physical event is a bit of an expense, but it's something that like we I, I still think of it as like necessary for us to do. Um, from a fundraising standpoint, though, our, a lot of our money is raised through online streams and online gifts and sponsors that we you know interact with. Uh, but I think that's great. I mean, I think it's helpful to not have to depend on the physical event necessarily, um, because then at least if like something happens at the physical event, like if there's a power outage or the Internet goes down randomly, you know, you've sort of got this like distributed fundraising method, uh, you know, that that keeps the, the rest of the ship afloat you know, while you fix things on site so um yeah that's that's kind of where i think things are that's, that's sort of where where we ended up landing during the pandemic uh, you know it's always thankfully we were grateful to have like a role and i think you know trying to be helpful during everything that was happening in our own way and then i think our team as well everyone was very grateful to you know be able to work on this this you know amidst everything going on so um we just kind of put our blinders on and decided to focus and uh, you know, try to work as hard as we possibly could and, uh, and you know, make life better for the kids and families that were stuck in hospitals during all that. I do have to say, though, just having to deal with being, you know, in IT at the time when all this came down here and, you know, everybody's like working from home and you got to do all this stuff remotely now. I do have to say it, it kind of, you know, I'm sitting there in my head thinking like, oh, yeah, no, a wow raid. We had 40 people from across the world getting together at the same time, you know, on the same chat thing. They're just working together as a team. And I'm like, this this is this is way easier than a wow raid. I mean, this is just getting 12 people in the same, you know, Google Google chat room to deal with that. And just like video games was just almost like a predecessor for this whole work from home stuff there. And it, it seemed to be that the younger generation understood that better and got it better than some of the uh, older generations that I work with. I 100% agree with you. I mean, prior to Gamers Outreach becoming a full-time job, you know, I had a couple instances where I was working, I worked at Corsair, uh, I worked at Razor for a short period of time. Um, in both of those, and, and then before that, Encompass and ESS Agency, which is now ESL, you know, that was a, Razor and Corsair, the, I mean, the idea of working remote from, you know, from home, and I think all other, you know, other corporations are going through this now, it, I think it was a generational divide, certainly, because working from home is playing online video games. It's, it's no different, really. Like, Right. You are sitting, you're digesting information, you're corresponding, you're transferring information to other people. 
I, the thing I find, I think work from home has a ton of benefits. I think it's harder to build culture working from home or maybe takes more effort or a different sort of effort. Um, but I do think it's, and, and I think also it highly depends on what you're doing. Obviously someone who physically needs to be in a certain location if you're a doctor, um, you know, or you're, yeah, I can't take surgeon, the radio like, transmitters home with me. That doesn't work that way. Right, right. Exactly. That's, that's different. But, um, you know, if you're like a, I mean, there are all sorts of other jobs where, you know, just having the flexibility to do things online makes a ton of sense. You know, one of our board members is a pediatrician, um, this guy Juan Lovelace, or um, Juan Espinosa, sorry. Um, and he, um, you know, has mentioned like, hey, thanks to telehealth, I'm able to see way more patients than ever before. You know, there are so many, so many times too, where people would flake on appointments or traffic would happen and things get delayed. And, you know, now it's just boom, boom, boom. He's able to just interact with people way more efficiently. And it seems so obvious. I, I just think it's a matter of, you know, change sometimes being slow. COVID caused a lot of, basically caused everyone to sort of reassess how they conduct work and how they interact. And, you know, when people are forced to do something like that, I think the adoption obviously happens much faster, albeit maybe perhaps a bit painful and awkward um, for some. But I, I agree with you fully. I mean, I, I've always felt like work from home, work from remote is, I mean, it just seems so obvious. If you have someone who, especially if they're talented at what they do, or they have a clear sense of what they need to be doing day to day, I think work from home makes a ton of sense. Again, back to like issues with it. I think culture building is hard, but I also think like if you have green employees, it can sometimes be difficult for them to really get up to speed, maybe. Um, those are just some of my observations. Well, yeah, no, it's also when I had those people working remotely, you know, I can't wander down the hall and talk to our program director about, hey, you know, have you thought about this idea? Or, you know, I have a, I have like a silly thing to talk to our commercial production person. It's like the, the water cooler moments don't really happen when you're working from home. It's yeah, you have a discord. So, yeah, you might be able to do something like that. But just you're spontaneously bumping into somebody and going, hey, oh, I heard you guys were talking about this. Let me add my little side note to the thing. Yeah. That that whole yeah culture just yeah doesn't exist really that much doing work from home. It's it's significantly harder, and it's going to vary depending on the size, right? If you have like twelve people in a Discord, that's one thing. If you have forty people, another three hundred, it's a whole other. Oh jeez, I couldn't believe having three hundred people in a Discord. That would just oh my gosh, and that would just. I, I have as I mentioned, I work our company. We have a team like basically a giant Discord. It just it would just be scrolling constantly, wouldn't it? Or no? Well, if everyone were in the same chat, yeah. Yes. That's not usually a thing. Okay. I just like, I, I have small groups here. We talked about this. I, I, you know, I have my small groups and they all just do their things. And, mm -hmm. right. So Zach, in, in, in the time that we have left, we've heard quite a bit of it. Um, what's next? I mean, it sounds so cool what you guys have been doing. And, and like, I love hearing seeing the posts on uh, social media about like, Hey, we, you know, we're running this event or we just this, or uh, as you've been growing and you've been posting like help wanted ad. And I'm like, well, I want I my skills. But like, what's next? A lot of snacks. I mean, I think what I've come to realize this challenge, the cool thing about it is that it's very tangible. Uh, we can clearly demonstrate, you know, here was a hospital that didn't have video games. Now they do. Now they have more games and look at the kids that have access to play. Thanks to that. Um, and that's that's great. That's one of the, I think, really wonderful things about the work that we do is that it's so apparent, you know, when results are happening. The uh, challenge I was alluding to is that it turns out the problem is very large. Uh, there are, you know, I, I mentioned this, there's like over 6,100 hospitals in the U.S. alone, if you include adult facilities. Um, and then you start talking about like, well, what do, what do those numbers look like worldwide? And obviously it's a lot bigger. So 
I, I generally feel wherever video games exist, gamers outreach programs or something like gamers outreach should also exist. Inevitably, to me, it just seems inevitable that hospitals will embrace video games and integrate video games into the, their, their environments almost as part of their infrastructure. But it doesn't happen automatically. And I think that's also something that's kind of unique about this whole conversation is that it turns out gamers are really the only people who have the knowledge to help because, I mean, really, you think about it, right? Like yeah. if you it's, go it's work a in a hospital. knowledge set. Right, right. And and that's kind of, I think, the what's so kind of, I, I mean, that there's that quote, fate loves irony. What's so beautiful to me, I, I chuckle about this all the time, our whole story and our whole existence, it just hits on so many beats, you know, that we've all been familiar with with gaming. I mean, the stereotypes around, you know, the gaming community and the, the value of playing games, the value of like the, the fact that we spend so much of our time, you know, in these virtual environments. What does that really equate to? And here we have a very obvious example where... If you don't have knowledge of these games and how to, you know, physically network this stuff, you're not going to be able to deploy in hospitals where they might be most valuable, most needed. Um, and I say most. I mean, that's a I philosophical point. Sorry, getting right away. They're they're clearly very helpful. Um, so I, I think that's something that, in the long run, it, it's really going to be up to video gamers stepping forward and saying, "Hey, I can help. We have the power to help. Like, let's come forward. Let's get involved. Support our local hospitals." So I do think there's uh, a much uh, higher, more active level of activity. Yeah, of, of involvement still from the gaming community that we've we have uh, that we're trying to aspire to. Um, so that's why I'm excited about this. You know, having grown up playing video games, to me, this is just I've just kind of decided this is my life's work. Um, love games. Grew up the last twenty something years plus. You know, playing games and. I, I, it's the, I feel like the irony of my job is I, I have less time to play games or it's harder to make time to play games. I was going to ask, what's, I, what's the uh, last thing you played? Uh, I, well, I just played Forza last night and um, I downloaded Age of Empires as well, the new Age of Empires game, which I'm pretty happy with so far. Um, so yeah, that's to say like, and then Death Stranding I think was the last story-driven game that I completed, uh, which would have been pre-pandemic. I had kind of a weird pandemic though. Like I... I mean, I got COVID twice, full transparency. I also, like, packed all my stuff, like, put all my stuff in storage and, like, went back to Michigan. Um, now I'm back in L.A., but um, my stuff is still kind of, like, my apartment is really just, like, a holding area for my stuff that I got out of storage. And I'm kind of going through this mood where, like, I don't want any of my stuff anymore because I'm, like, waiting to move into a new place. So, like, all my – I actually just hooked up my, my, my gaming PC. was collecting dust for the last, like, four or five months. And I just hooked it up again, like, about a week ago. And I'm like, oh, my God, what, what have I missed? Um, <laughs> so, anyway, random personal tangent there. But, yeah. You asked, what's the future oh, of gamers? No, a random chance, like, random tangent the random access podcast. How terrible. Right, right. <laughs> Very on brand. Um, yeah. Yes. I, let me answer you more succinctly. The future of gamers average looks bright. I'm hopeful we'll see more involvement from the video game community. We're working on a few programs that I think will really make video games easier to manage at scale. I mentioned Portal. Um, that's like a software platform that uh, basically makes it so that a, a single hospital staff member can manage hundreds of devices at the same time. We like wrote a blog post about it on our website if people are interested in learning more. Uh, we have another fun initiative we announced called SavePoint. We're building these like high-tech vending machines that will distribute like toys and game codes and just fun like gaming swag to kids. Um, and we also posted that on our website. People can check it out. It's a little, uh, I'd say, outside the scope of like our broader like goal of making games readily available, but it's still still relevant in some ways like we're, we're hopeful that it's just like a fun way for kids to feel inspired and encouraged as they're like leaving a facility 
um, and maybe a fun way for our partners to like get involved and like donate swag and whatnot. So um, that was actually kind of inspired by Final Fantasy VII. Funny enough, like the um, the vending machines being the safe points were like, oh, how? Don't ask how the dots got connected, but somehow <laughs> ended up realizing like. Wow, it'd be kind of fun if, like, you built one, like, put a vending machine in a hospital that gave kids, like, video game stuff. Like, oh, wait a minute. Um, well, so, yeah, mobile yeah. gaming stuff, you kind of can't, you know, mobile gaming's just mobile gaming. You got to have, you know, some sort of bonus for it. You know, we, we have a fun conversation with some, I mean, we've had conversations with mobile game developers, and to that point, we don't really, oh, our programs don't really focus on mobile gaming per se. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, to, to be able to say, like, hey, we've got a bunch of codes for Clash Royale, right? Like, there you go they're in the vending machine as you're leaving take one um totally that's suddenly there's an opportunity for those gaming companies to like get involved right so um so yeah i'm excited i mean i think we're we're really the big goal is to to build a world where as mentioned one day we'll all look back and you know ask ourselves remember when hospitals didn't have video games and i just think it's so obvious when you say it that way like of course that world has to come into existence so that's what we're trying to do and for every hospital that's different i mean some hospitals you know want to put video games in every single patient room other hospitals maybe don't have that sort of infrastructure, so you know, delivering a certain number of go karts is you know good enough. Um, and uh, we're kind of figuring that out, hospital to hospital. All right. I have I have one other thing I want to talk about with you, uh, but Andy, is there anything you want to hit it real quick? Well, I've, I I had one thing that I wanted to ask Zach, and it's not oh. video game related. Okay, is it the same thing I'm going to ask him? What are you going to ask him? No, no, you first, by all means. Well, oh, I was just very curious about Zach's pizza situation, ah, and okay. and what are his five. Top five Michigan pizza chains. Wow, wow. Okay, so I, I'm going to very much summarize this. But yes, so I moved to LA, you know, four or five years ago and came to realize the pizza scene out here is pretty weak compared to Michigan. In fact, a lot of people are not familiar with Detroit-style pizza. Like, they've literally never okay, seen but it. but in all fairness, I grew up in Ann Arbor. I was not familiar with Detroit-style pizza until about three years ago. Well, you were. You just didn't, we didn't call it that, right? Sicilian style is like how we know it. Jets pizza, right? Like you, yeah, you yeah. had Jets pizza growing up, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Jets, right. and then uh, yeah, the Little Caesars is doing their you know deep dish. Yeah, that that and that, that's yeah. But yeah. I, I, so like Buddies, I mean, it's it's kind of a regional thing. Like Buddies in Detroit has always had Detroit style pizza. Um, you might not be aware of this. The, the reason they call it Detroit style back in the like '60s, uh, or I should say the '40s. Legend goes. There are these guys who got home from World War II. They had tried some focaccia bread, various foods in Italy, and they were working at these auto factories. And they decided they would hang out at this bar called Buddy's. And they decided it would be fun to try to recreate focaccia bread. But they didn't have any square-shaped pans. So to solve the problem, they grabbed their oil pans from the car factory they worked, cleaned them out, and tried to remake focaccia bread. So they're trying to get that square shape. <laughs> well, it turned out it kind of like came up a bit puffier than, you know, you might normally would. But the way their pans were shaped, it all the cheese kind of bled, bled into the crust. And so like when you eat Jet's pizza, as that sort of caramelized ridge, right? Where like all it's very flavorful because all the cheese kind of bleeds into those edges. Um, and they basically ended up creating like a pizza brownie, if you will. And that's why they call it Detroit style pizzas, because it originated at Buddy's and these guys made it literally with their oil pants. So it's very like on brand with Detroit. But they also call it Sicilian style because that's that's where you know originally is like inspired by uh, the sort of Italian focaccia bread that these people had ate. Um, well, something I didn't really appreciate is that Jets Pizza, Buddies, um, I mean, Pie Sai, all, all these places that make the style pizza really only exist in Michigan. And if you go to the West Coast, Seattle, Vegas, Los Angeles, there are very few people that A, are making Sicilian style and B, the ones that do aren't, in my experience, aren't really doing it quite right. 
Um, in fact, there's a place in Texas called three. I think it's in Austin, three one three. It's these two guys <laughs> from West Michigan. Yep. They they went to Texas and they're like the pizza here sucks. These people don't know what they're missing. We need to make a Detroit style pizza. So I had a similar experience in LA. I'm like all the pizza places here. I mean it's garbage. Like I'm, I mean I'm not even gonna like mince words. It's it's trash. <laughs> These people don't realize what they're missing out on. And um, and then everyone's like oh New York style Chicago style but like Chicago style is like pizza as lasagna. You can't really grab right. it. It's that's, that's you have to eat pizza. it. Right. And then New York I don't feel like it has the same substance. Like and then the crust is kind of worthless. Like you get to the crust and it's like a little breadstick. It's like do you just toss it? Or do you, do you you know some people don't even like it. So I started making this in my apartment and then as I discovered people didn't even know this was a thing. Um, I was like, you know what? It'd be fun to like do a pizza pop-up. And that evolved to what if we opened like a full-on kitchen and made this a thing? So I discovered at Detroit Pizzas was available on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. So I'm squatting on those handles at Detroit Pizzas. Oh, that? Right. That? Couldn't believe it. It was available. I so right. I'm, I'm squatting. So- Yep. Yeah, so if, if the steamers outreach thing just doesn't work out for you, you've got pizza to fall back on. Well, wait, it gets better. So <laughs> no, I, wait, but there's more. I found a, a, buddy of mine from, a buddy of mine from high school. Uh, I had two friends, actually. One of them manages the Jets Pizza in Celine. And then the other um, started a food truck. He actually was, he's been making pizzas, uh, Detroit style, in Celine for the last year or so. And I reached out and was like, dude, put your food truck in storage, come to Los Angeles and like run the operations for Detroit. We're, we're, calling it, we're going to call it Detroit Pizza Depot. And um, he agreed. He said, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. So we're actually, I need to work on our, I'm working on our pitch deck right now. We're going to round up like a couple hundred grand in investment dollars and we're going to make this a thing. We're aiming to launch it in April or May. We're going to try to do it in LA first. And then um, Seattle will be up next. And um, we're going to bring Detroit pizza to the world. That's the plan. All right. I the did not expect bar. it to go this direction. <laughs> I, I didn't either, to be honest with you. I mean, we're... we're Do you just this has been like I, bored, Zach? Is that what's going on? Like, No, I think it's a combination of like, first off, I, the minimum bar of success is to eat for free and not lose money. So yep. uh, as long as we meet that requirement, I, I would love to just be able to pick up the phone and order like a good pizza. And, and I think it's fun. It's fun for friends. Like, yes, you know, you have this, this like food company and it's like a way to bring people together. Yeah. So it's exciting. Um, honestly too, I mean, you know, you you guys know, I mean, I I founded a nonprofit out of high school. There are definitely instances where I wish like I had a bit more, you know, like economic freedom to like go buy a stupid car or just do dumb fun stuff with friends. Um, and I just feel like, you know, you open like a business, that's a great way to make some extra cash. So, um, so yeah, I think the, the, the stretch goal is multi-million dollar pizza megacorp. Um, and, you know, bring Detroit pizza to the world. I also think thirdly, like, you know, Michigan gets such a, a, a strange reputation because of, you know, Detroit's history, you know, depending on where you are nationally. So I feel like one of the best ways to share culture with people is through food. And it does so happen that we've got, you know, I wouldn't have known this growing up in Michigan, but I'm realizing like our, we're actually a really strong pizza state, like Cottage Inn, founded in Michigan. I mean, founded in Michigan. Yeah, Domino's, Caesar. Little Caesars, Cottage Inn, Buddies. Yeah. Jets, Hungry Howies. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's funny, though, because we, growing up, I didn't really appreciate that or understand that. Now I'm like, holy shit, like, how have we not done, like, Detroit's first great export was the automobile. I think our next great export is going to be our style of pizza. So, yes. Yep. Yep. All right. uh, That's Uh, the plan. So the last thing I wanted to talk about was uh, you are a dog owner. I do have a husky. like the most photogenic dog in the world. I I won the husky lottery. Yeah. I I, I appreciate you saying that. 
Yeah, I, well, so I, um, you know, always wanted a Husky growing up. And then, like, my parents were, they weren't necessarily anti-dog, but they just, they didn't want a dog around the house, per se. Uh, and they felt like once I moved, they were going to have to, you know, take over all the responsibilities. So I, I found this Husky on Craigslist. I, I love Huskies. I just think they're always so jovial. They always want activities. Um, I mean, I think in a perfect world, if I had, like, infinite resources, I'd have a farm somewhere with, like, a big Husky ranch. Uh, and, like, all the Huskies. Um, so, yeah, I, I love my dog. You'll have one. What's that? I do have, like I have one. In 10 years, you'll have one. I, I no, think I mean, so. Like that's a ranch. No, oh, for sure. I, I actually, that's why we need to start the Pizza Mega Club, right? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> make the pizza, profit, buy the farm. That's the, the order of operations. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, his name is Chewbarka. Uh, uh, nice. Right. I thought it was good. And then, um, yeah, he's got a lot of floof. I think the things that I did, I fed him, I, I, I give him super bougie dog food. Um, there's this place called just food for dogs and they like, it should be called just food for humans. They like make, they, they have rice and beef and chicken. They mix it all together. They basically make stir fry, they freeze it. And then you, you thaw it out and your, your dog's eating like real food. Um, so his nutrition is like super on point. And I think that's like influenced his coat a lot of ways and then i also waited this is a very dog owner thing to say but i waited to fix it like i waited at least a year and a half um supposedly with huskies like if you fix them too early they don't grow into their full physicality like if you see huskies that have kind of like narrower faces typically that's a sign that they were like fixed too early in puppyhood um you kind of have to like give them time like especially like boy huskies you have to give them time for their their faces to really like round out and for them to grow into their full like physicality uh, that's at least what a veterinarian told me so i <laughs> those are the two things that I, I think I did right There's and no reason to disbelieve it. right same that's that was my thinking too so I I would love I when I do have the husky ranch I'm curious to see if that's repeatable or if I just kind of won the gene lottery I mean, with you, you uh, got, got a really dog. I love mine don't get me wrong I love that this is wonderful he's the sweetest pup ever really dude I appreciate you saying that I mean I, I really do it's very bizarre I, I I walk him around the block in my neighborhood and like it's funny because people I, I can't walk him without somebody saying something each day and at first I was like yeah. wow people really love dogs like because <laughs> I, I, this is the first time I've had a dog and I was like man people are I was like are people just saying this or is this like is this common for every dog owner but I, I really do think like um, yeah his, he's extremely photogenic he's really smart um, I um, yeah I, I don't know and his eyes he's got these like crazy like blue eyes like in the light they just turn like super uh, yeah it's beautiful beautiful husky really like turned out well thank you for that All right. I'm very proud of no it no problem <laughs> um, I know you gotta get going because you have another call to get to and we want to let you get back to like you know making the world a better place so Zach thanks for coming on and chatting with us thanks for having me guys that's a lot of fun it's good to catch up a little bit yeah no it's very nice to have you well with that I'll fare you well alright Zach we'll see you in about another 200 see. plus episodes ish episodes yeah somewhere around like a Episode nine hundred or thousand somewhere in there. Uh, but uh, said, maybe not. You and not I more need, than a couple years. You Let's, and I need to chat. Get some updates. You, you and I need to chat because, like, sounds good. I have ideas, Zach. <laughs> I have ideas. <laughs> They're I mean, not pizza related. We can talk over They're pizza. Not. There you go. That'd be good. All, right. All right. Well, thanks, Zach. Also, I'll say this in closing. I forgot to answer. Uh, Michigan and Trumbull is actually my number one pizza spot. I know Andy asked for like five, but in Detroit, it's called Michigan and Trumbull. Oh, it's yeah. It's kind of under the radar. Like, they're actually fairly new as well. I think their pizza is... I actually like them better than Buddy's, personally. <gasps> no offense to Buddy's. Buddy's is really good. I mean, you're splitting hairs, but I think I think Michigan Trumbull is really... Yeah. It's like T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L. Yeah. We're checking yeah, it out. I've got it right here. Looking at it. Yep. Very savory. If you like savory pizza, like salty, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, I thought it was fantastic. All right. There All right. you go. 
I'll leave you with that. Good luck, everyone. <laughs> See you, Zach. All right. Bye, Zach. See ya. Take care. Well, there All we right. go. That was Zach Weigel coming back in again. God, that's so fun to have him. And it's all, it, is, it is so cool to see how much he has grown from, like, this high school kid who was, who was like, a pretty aware high school kid when, when we first got him on the show. And, I mean, you and I weren't exactly far out of high school ourselves. Nope. Um, but, like, just seeing how, how he has changed and his view has changed and his goals have changed. And, like, it's really cool. It's really cool. You know, I think I actually drove by Michigan and Trumbull here, looking at the map. Well, did, were you on Michigan Ave and or Trumbull? Yes, I was on Michigan Ave. I, you know, I always love driving because that's right next to, um, well, Michigan and Trumbull. If anybody, you know, Detroit knows that that used to be Tiger Stadium. Andy, literally nobody knows that who is listening to this show. <laughs> Yes, that was the old Tiger Stadium location was Michigan and Trumbull. So, okay. okay, well, I'll have to put that on the list. For the next time that you're in the middle of downtown friggin' Detroit. I'm trying to actually think, when's the next time I would actually be in downtown Detroit? Because I, do I don't do the marathon anymore. Right. So, yeah, did you hear about that? The marathon this year, it was entirely U.S. only. They were not allowed to cross so the they, border. They couldn't cross the bridge. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh at that. But that's hilarious to me yep. that the the international marathon, they couldn't actually cross the bridge. Yep. Nope. No international marathon this time. Well, Dave, should we do the um, randoms? Do you want to do randoms? Yeah, I, I suppose we can do the I mean, I don't know what the random topic is. You, you didn't. Oh, I uh, because I, I didn't <laughs> actually um, search for the random topic yet. Okay, we, we should do that. Like, yes. right. Well, now. well, let me can I can I talk about go, my? Go. Yeah, because I do believe it is my review this week, right? It is indeed your review. Okay, so I'm going to review. I'm pulling it up right now. The Stanley, what is it called? I'm trying to get the exact wording here. It is the Stanley. Stanley. Stanley, Stan like the, the construction. Okay. It's the Stanley Mesh Garden Cart. And I've been trying to find the link for it online. A garden cart. Yes. So this idea is, you know, you have your little, you know, you have your... I would call it like your what your radio flyer type of wagon. Mm -hmm. um, this is kind of like your uh, wagon on steroids. Of course, it's got big ten inch uh, pneumatically pneumatic wheels, so it's got actual like air in the wheels. Yeah, um, I can't find it. On, uh, well, it, it's a it it's a cart. It doesn't exist. Yes, it it only exists. I guess in my uh, shed right now. Um, th this is bad. <laughs> oh <laughs> no! Don't don't get it. <laughs> Okay. It, does it, has it fallen apart? Um, well, okay. So I got it because I was in the process of, you know, taking apart the, the radio transmitters, which included, you know, I taking mean, down the towers. We talked about I, this. I know that you, you are doing that. I do, did not know that it required you to have a cart of some sort. Well, I had to, you know, haul the stuff out of the, the, the field in the swamp. And yeah. my, you know, I tried doing that with my little radio flyer wagon. And that lasted one day, and I decided, nope, don't do that. Um, so then I went to, I think I went to Menards. Yes, I went to Menards because I had the, the company card, um, and I got this Stanley Accu, AccuScape Garden Mesh Cart. Yeah. Uh, I got it back there, and I started putting it together, and it turns out they didn't actually give me enough cotter pins to put the wheels on it. Okay. So I had to go back to <laughs> this, you know, I had to go to the store and buy more cotter pins in order to actually attach the wheels. Right. And then this mesh cart has sides that you could fold down. And it looked like in the picture it had like a little handle there so you could, you know, pop the handle and then you could fold the thing down. Well, that handle didn't actually do anything. 
it it didn't adjust the latch at all. So the thing was, you know, you actually have to remove all the cotter pins on the bottom part in order to remove the sides. <laughs> and you, it, um, the cotter pins uh, don't actually hold in place. So the cotter pins will sometimes randomly fall out on their own, which is kind of annoying when you have it loaded up with a bunch of things and literally the, 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 the side of the wagon literally just falls over and everything spills out of the cart. Yeah. So, yes, no, I, I've been, I, you know, tried it for a couple of days and I have to put more time and effort into, you know, fixing the things than I did actually originally building it. Now, supposedly this thing can be towed, you know, behind a tractor or a lawnmower or something, which sure you could probably I, do I don't that. know if I believe that. <laughs> I don't want to try it out. I, you know, I've just yeah. been using it as a hand card, but it's, it's bad. I, yeah. You know, it's one of those things, and like I said, I'm I'm looking on the Menards page, which I swear I bought it at Menards, and I can't find it, and I'm Googling it, and I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> and I'm not sad because, about that. Probably because it's so bad. Yes. It, um, it, it was not... Well, it, okay. the, the, the idea is great. Like, if you have, you know, mulch or, you know, plants or something, you know, it's it's a nice... When it's working, you know, I'm taking mm-hmm. this thing through a swamp and it's it's running fine. You know, it's its wheels are fine and, you know, nice, big, chunky, you know, knobby wheels. But, but, but this, no. you know, the, the idea is, and it looks like there's a whole bunch of these out there on the internet, just mm-hmm. stay away from the Stanley one. If you can, if you somehow stumble upon it at some point, which I don't even know how the heck I'm going to link this in the episode guide now that I, can, I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> um... Just, uh, yeah, that's that's going to be a problem. Yeah, no, I'll I'll try and figure something out for this. Um, yeah, no, this it just this it, for the 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 amount of cost, which I think was like hundred and twenty bucks for this thing. It just nope, it just was causing so many problems. And yeah, just you know, there are probably other better ones out there. And yep. yeah, just not 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 the Stanley. Just, nope, <laughs> it's a it's a hard nope. It's my PSA out to everybody that if you see one of these things, turn and walk away. So that is my random okay. review. Let me log into our random topic list. Doing this on my work laptop, so I, I realize I'm tr- trying to log into my wrong Google Drive. Oh, it's, it's going to take a long time. Yeah. Oops. That's going to take a little bit of time. Do I need to go find it? No, no, no. Here we go. There we go. I, I opened up uh, Edge. I've got Edge saved okay. under my personal one, and Chrome is under my work one. Okay, so we did... What did we do last time? We did... Oh, we did the salad one. Yes. Okay. Yes. So let's get a random number generator up and running. Okay, so this is going to be 1 through 14. All right, Wheel of Morality, turn, turn, turn. Tell us the lesson that should learn. Number four. Number four is, does Super Dave still hold up? What the heck does that mean? Did Super Dave ever hold up? Does Super Dave still hold up? This is from Hans back in August. I don't know. I don't don't remember Super Dave. I don't remember Super Dave either. Was there a Super Dave? I mean, Dave is pretty super. Like, let's not kid ourselves. (laughs) What id ego and super ego? <laughs> that's that's your computer, if I recall. No, those are those are my spare hard drives. Your your hard drives, yeah. Yes, those were the hard drives. Id ego and super ego, yeah. Yeah. So does Super Dave still hold up? I I didn't know it was a, it held up originally. I, I, it, I yeah, that's that's new to new to me. I don't know. I I got nothing. Literally nothing. Yeah, I don't. I just. <laughs> 
I don't even know where this came from. Hans, you're going to have to I, tell us. We need this... more context on this, but we never get context because it's the random topic. So, Andy, does Super Dave hold up? I'm going to say no. Or does it still hold up? It's still hold up. Oh, yes. Does Super Dave still hold up? I'm going to say no. Implying that Super Dave at one point held up. I d- held up what? <laughs> What banks? Like I don't feel like that Super Dave and holding a banks. Normally, super. You don't know. Has has there ever could been be a villains? super villain? That's that's it true. It could be a villain. Would you want to be a villain, Dave? I'm always a villain, Andy. That's your secret. You're always angry. <laughs> that's my secret. I'm always the villain. Uh, have you ever played Secret Hitler? <sighs> Is it like a uh, night night of werewolf? Probably mafia werewolf social yeah. production game. Yes, got it. Yeah, same games. idea. Yeah, I well, that's when games. when I play it, I'm always one of the first ones killed because I'm always the villain. No matter the fact that like I'm never, I don't think I've once been Hitler in Secret Hitler. Uh, but like they people do not trust me. They just do not trust me. I am I'm the least trustworthy person apparently. <laughs> How 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 well do your Among Us games go? Uh, when I was playing against my colleagues, really well. But that that had less to do with social deduction and more to do with I understood the mechanics of the game better than anyone else in the room. Yeah, no, I could I could see that sometimes. Where it's like, oh yeah, somebody who was it? Somebody wanted us to uh, uh, two years ago during the the holiday luncheon at work. Somebody mm-hmm. wanted to play a game of Clue, and I'm like, are you sure you guys want to play me and Clue? No, no, <laughs> no, no, they don't. They yeah. definitely, definitely don't. They no. think they do, but yeah. they don't. No, no, you you are you are you sure you want to do that? Because I don't I don't think you guys. You positive? This is this is like when when we went to the. Uh, Kogoto um, um, uh, laser tag retreat. <laughs> and people are like, yeah, let's play laser tag. I'm like, cool, let's play laser tag. And like, Dave, like, I'm, I'm going to shoot you. And I'm like, you're going to try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys have fun with that. I'm just going to uh, rack up the yeah, points. Good, good, good luck. Knock yourself out. Have All right. Fun. Well, I got to uh, I got to go and put the kids to bed. OK, so I, I made a game. I made a, a timeline game. Oh, is this why, why you needed, needed all those? Data set. Really? Yeah. You need specific street dates. You can't even just go by years? Well, because if I go by years, I have to do all of it by years. And then what happens when there's two things that are in the same year? Mm. Okay, that data set that I showed you, that second one, you could just click on the title and look on the right and get street dates that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, but then that, that's a lot of work that's manual. I was looking for, like, a pre-compiled data set. You wanted somebody first, else? Andy, Tarzan or Nintendogs? By Tarzan, I mean the Disney movie Tarzan. Or Nintendogs. Oh, jeez. Yep. Some of these are a lot harder than others. Some of them, not hard. Uh, I'm going to go with Tarzan. All right. Submit. Hey, Tarzan came out in 1999. Nintendogs was 2005. Yep, I remember that. All right, so this one's way easier. Time Bandits or Saving Private Ryan? Well, that was Time Bandits, right? Yeah, Time Bandits. (laughs) I'm like... Part of me, part of me in my head was like, "There's got to be a trick." No, there's no trick. That's just no, no. The, the trick is I don't have difficulty on here right now. It's literally picking two things from my data set. I don't have it checked to say like, find two things that are close together. Well, that'd be an easy way of doing it. Degree of difficulty by years give you like a little yeah. like oh, that's, year that's window. The plan. The problem is like you have to think the further back you go, the bigger that window is. Mm. Right? Because if I pick two things from, like, last year, you might actually know which one came out first. Yeah, but if you ask me, like... If I pick two things that happened in the 60s, you're going to be like, ah, I don't know. 
yes, but if you ask my dad about two things that happened in the 60s. It's, it's been enough time. People who were alive in the 60s may still have issues with that. Yeah, it's like we found an old game of Trivial Pursuit. Mm-hmm. Old game of Trivial Pursuit in my dad's basement. And your dad just destroyed everyone? Pretty much, because we were just looking at these questions yeah. going like, what the frack? Which came first, The Green Mile or Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, the movie? All of these are movies and video games. Okay, uh, Green Mile came out first. Oh, you want to guess by how much? Not by a lot, if I remember correctly. Not by a lot. Green Mile was January of 2000. Harry Potter was December 2001. You're asking somebody who has film studies on his degree. Yep. I mean, you should be really good at this. A Few Good Men and Edward Scissorhands. Oh. A Few Good Men. I can't handle the truth. That was Nicholson. He looked young. I love your thought process for this. I love your thought process for this. This, That's fantastic. Tom Cruise was a baby. Edward Scissorhands, though, was that? That was like one of the original Tim Burton movies, though. Mm. Uh, A Few Good Men. Edward Scissorhands. Oh, shit. By two years. Oh, God. All right. That's that. Yep. No, we got it. Anyway, I made a game. Yep. (laughs) There we go. That's on that bombshell. That's a wrap. This has been another episode of the Random Access Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, corrections, suggestions, remarks, reviews, rebukes, retorts, or just rants, feel free to contact us. You can find us on Twitter at RAPodcast, or send us an email at mail at RAPodcast.net. Thank you for listening. Thank you.